This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Western Wall. <laughs> you know, we all want to uh, have amazing lives. And one of the ways that you can have an amazing life, if you want an amazing life, and I think most of us do at least, at a certain point in your life, you decide that you're going to want an amazing life and you want to make it amazing. So one of those ways is by fulfilling responsibility, which sounds strange because, you know, as Cheech Marin of Cheech and Chong said, responsibility is a heavy responsibility, man. <laughs> the, uh, most people don't like responsibility very much. And they, they're just avoiding it most of the time. And especially teenagers do not like responsibility. Kids don't like it much either. Either. Uh, responsibility just seems like a bummer for most people, but check out the happiest people. They're generally the ones with the most responsibility. They live the richest lives. They live the happiest. They sleep the best. People who take on responsibility, people who are responsible, tend to be the happier people. And, and so, so that's very interesting because we don't want it. And I myself know <laughs> what that feels like. Believe me, I'm not looking for more responsibilities, which is strange because... My life's only as rich as my responsibilities that I've taken on. So we have to um, shift our, our focus on the subject of responsibility and to, to decide that responsibility is good. You want responsibility. Now, there's two types of responsibility. And we're going to look at each one. two types of responsibility. One is elective, and the other kind is, um, how would you say it? It's, uh, it's, in, it's forced upon you. It's, it's your duty. There's words like duty, and you got to do it. Uh, what would you call it? Elective versus non-elective. Uh, what was that? No. What is it? What do you call the responsibility that like every person is responsible for? Like, like cleaning up after yourself. You, ob- obligatory. You got a. You got an assist, Sam. Okay. She said obligation. Obligatory. Okay. So uh, there's. Elective responsibility and there's obligatory uh, responsibility. Now, which one you think brings more pleasure? Elective. Yeah, elective elective responsibility brings more pleasure, for sure. When you elect to do something, that's that's a real pleasure to do. And like I had mentioned, that I was trimming the trails mountain biking today, so that was obligatory or elective. Did I mention getting a lot of pleasure out of that? A lot of pleasure, even though I got poked. A lot of times, I was not enjoying my ride because I wasn't riding. My bike was at the top of the trail, and I was down the trail, working on the trail. And the uh, I really got poked a lot. My the muscles in my hands now are completely worked. So when I finally did start riding, I had sore hands. And um, whatever it was, it was hard work. It was great because I elected to do it. I enjoyed it, and it made my day. So, but so far, a highlight of my day was was taken on a responsibility that was not incumbent upon me, but something I elected to do. Now, 
Um, now, obligatory responsibility can also be uh, very pleasurable. And, and certainly, I don't think pleasure is our main thing we're looking at. Pleasure is kind of an outcome. I think the main thing we're looking at is, is meaning orientation. Like that, we're, that we're, our lives are meaningful. I mean, can you imagine what life would be like if your life was meaningless? Can you imagine what your life would be like to have a meaningless life? That would really be lame, to have a meaningless life. So, what's the correlation between responsibility and meaning in life? I mean, imagine someone who is not being responsible at all. Like, no responsibility. Imagine you gave someone no responsibilities. Could you see how maybe their life would start becoming meaningless? Can you see that? Tell me, who? give me an example of someone who has the highest responsibility and the most meaning. A parent. Very good. I, I, I was, we'll start with that. Is a, a parent. Running a hospital. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's a serious <laughs> responsibility. But, but parenting is, um, you know, it's, it's somewhat elective. In Judaism, it's a bit obligatory, too. But it's, uh, it's really obligatory and elective. You know, like you, that you have kids is obligatory. How many kids you have is elective, we could say. And, um, and the, it's the most responsibility you've ever had in your life, and it's your greatest pleasure. Did I say pleasure? And the most meaningful thing. It's very meaningful. Very meaningful, especially if you're female. It's extra meaningful. And why, especially if you're female? What about women? Well, you might say women are more nurturing. That might be why that's more meaningful to have children. But there's another reason. What's the other reason? It's on the board. What? <laughs> they're, they're the ones who can do the duty here. You understand? Like, like men, are, men are fun for children when you're raising them and for babies. You know, I'm the one, I'm the fa- I'm the one of the two parents that keeps co- doing these little gravity moves with the kid and you know, and like m- making life fun and stuff. While while but but the woman has the bears the brunt of the responsibility of the child cuz she she's only she can really care for it in the way it needs unless of course it's on bottles, but you know, that's definitely not the way you want to raise a kid unless you absolutely have to. And so, and so she gets the most meaning. Also, it's elective for the woman. What's that? Also, it's elective for the woman. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I wonder if the obligation, because women are not obligated to have kids for various reasons. One of them is you can't obligate the Torah cannot obligate someone that could kill them, and so that's one of the reasons. But the but the men are obligated to have kids. Which is really interesting, because in a way, I mean, there's a lot to learn from that. One of the things is you're obligated to get married. Then men are obligated to get married, and the Torah says very specifically, "Lo tovadam liot levado." It's not good for a man to be alone. Where so why does the Torah have to say that? Why does the Torah have to obligate a man to be a parent of children, and therefore he has to get married because your children are going to be total animals if you raise them out of wedlock. And, you know, it's not good for children to be raised out of wedlock. It can be done, and some people have done it well, but, but it's a, you know, you're, you're statistically ruining your chances of having good kids if you, marry, if you raise them out of wedlock. And so, 
and their their socialization to the institution of marriage is going to be skewed. So the anyway, uh, amongst many other things. So the the men are obligated. Why do you think the men are obligated? So it's really interesting. And I've heard I've heard Jordan Peterson touch on this subject a little bit. Is that women have inside them meaning? They're built in with meaning because they can create children. Not only can they create them, they want to create them. Men, on the other hand, you know, <laughs> men's self-esteem is so so low that it's a question if they even want to propagate themselves. Like it's enough. I it's enough. I'm here. Like I want to bring another one. You know, like when do we when do we borrow someone else's seed for our children? So the anyway, the but women have a built-in meaning, and men don't. Men don't have built-in meaning. Men have a bigger issue with meaninglessness than women do, because we don't have a built-in meaning in our reproductive system. And that's not that's that causes us to live a more meaningless existence. But, and, and, and there's another idea I learned from Jordan Peterson, is that if you can move your bag of bones somewhere, like, just move that bag of bones and like, I don't know what, put people's luggage onto a little cart and bring it to the airline window, you know, the ticket counter for them, otherwise known as a, uh, what are those guys called? Bus, not a bus boy, that's a... Yeah, what do you call the guy at the airport? What? That's funny. Like we live in such a generation. Like people, most airports don't. Ah, I'll ask Yidi. I'll know. Yidi, what do you call the guy at the airport that brings your bags to the window from your car? Skycap. Oh, it doesn't exist anymore. It's certainly not an easy jet coming from London, man. Whoa, ain't no skycap there. You know, that's that's like uh, it's like a bus. Your seats don't even recline. So anyway, they're called a skycap. Actually, everyone practice that word. Learn more vocabulary. So, um, so skycap is uh, um, please. Uh, that's why that window's there, so I can invite shy people into the room. Not that you're shy, it's just you don't want to interrupt a class. And I understand that, but it's a drop-in course, and you have succeeded in dropping <coughs> better than anybody here, except for Yiddy, who dropped in a second before you. So. Anyway, sky caps can move their bag of bones. That man can move his bag of bones and shoulder that luggage. That's not, you know, there's some heavy bags, especially if they're Jews coming to Israel and with gifts for everyone they know. And they're going to, they can lift that thing with those muscles of theirs and they can move. Shalom, there's a spot right here next to this lady if you want. So the... Anyway, they can lift those bags, they can put them on the cart, they can bring them. And here's the crazy thing about all this. Hey, no. Nice to see you. There's a spot right here if you want to grab it. So what happens at the end of all that back and forth is when you, when you finally get the guy set up, they hand you money. What, have these guys gone insane? Why are people handing you money? And the answer is, is because they find value. They found value in what you contributed. Because you moved those bags for them. And that's worth something to some people. Five bucks, ten bucks. I'd generally give a 20 if I got, you know, if I got a lot of bags. 
five bucks, ten bucks, and hey, that man comes home with you know a couple hundred bucks worth of tips, and his wife sees him walk in with some self-respect, which is going to radiate respect from her towards him, and things are going well for him that day. That he moved his bag of bones around, and. It was pretty meaningful, and it's very meaningful to be recognized that you can move your bag around. You're recognized monetarily. That you're recognized monetarily brings great meaning to a man. Not to be, not to be, um, not to be treated lightly. That you can do that. And this is why it's very hard for girls whose fathers work to respect colo husbands. Even though you've been brainwashed by your schools to, Kola, men who are married who learn in yeshiva for years. You, know, you, you get these girls saying, you know, so what are you looking for in a man? I want a man who will learn full time while I work. Yeah, it's like okay, thank you for telling us what your school told you to say. Does your father do that? No. What does your father do? He works. What do you want? What would you respect in a man? Because if you don't respect your husband, you don't have a marriage. And you're not going to be attracted to him because respect and attraction are mated forever. Respect and attraction go together. They, you cannot separate them. If there's not respect, there's no attraction, and then there's no marriage. Now, I do know women who wouldn't respect a guy who works. In my community, in my little shtetl in the... But they breathe it. You know, they would not respect their husband if he worked. What they respect is tayre, because they were raised totally immersed with fathers who learned their whole lives and and got and achieved greatness through Torah, and and they were trained in this, and and that is a great reason to marry a man who learns full time, and she will respect him even more than a man who would work. But you do have to know yourself. And once in a while you get a girl from a home whose father worked and that's what she would have respected except she had she had a I guess you could call it a BT moment where she she had this spiritually something happened where she had this like incredible revelatory moment where she realized all there is is God and all there is is the prophecies of directing our daily lives Wow, I want to be married to a man who knows the wisdom of our tribe, like backwards and forwards. I want that kind of guy. There are people like that. My wife was raised by a, you know, an atheist, not an atheist, but a, but a, almost an atheist workaholic, you know, secular German <laughs> with a very heavy work ethic and lots of guns, including one under his pillow, a couple shotguns, and, you know, like that's how she was raised, you know, skin and raccoons. And the, um, but my wife had a revelation. And the more Torah I study, the more respect I get. It means nothing to her. It means nothing to her that I support the family. It means nothing. She, she's happy. She can buy produce. She's happy. She can go shopping. You know, that's nice. But other than nice, she would give it all up if I would sit and learn. Now, of course, she would go to hell in a bucket if she didn't support the impact that I'm having. 
you understand when whoever you marry you must figure out what they're here for and then you women have to figure out what their husband's here for because he may not figure it out but together you figure out what he's here for and you support him to the end of the world even if you think something else would be more important you support him to the end of the world and so I'm in that situation my wife will get great reward because she backs me she'll pack my bags she'll call the travel agent she will she will help me with my marketing she will she will she will comment on on um, flyers and what she thinks about them. How's it going, Revinson? Sit next to the surfing rabbi over here. He's famous. <laughs> there were times you were when I was just a little pipsqueak. So, so the um, anyway. I don't know if you guys know, but you have the surfing, the surfing rabbi. I'm the rabbi who surfs. You have the actual surfing rabbi here. Rabbi Nachum Schifferns in, in your midst here. Um, wait, um, let me just finish that point. Is uh, I was just saying that she has tremendous reward because she's, she's respecting and supporting a man who she would rather have learning, who's on, a, on me on my mission you know, to transform the world. And, and so that's, that's pretty special. Just want to put it out there for, in honor of my wife. Yeah, Kobe, you want to say something? Um, you said something very interesting about how women have like the meaning built into them, and like men, it's more like external. Do you think it's maybe why men have, a, especially men who feel lust, have a tendency to uh, like indulge in uh, like self-destructive behaviors? Um, like they, they feel that meaningless, like outside of themselves. They feel meanings external. I'd have to think about that a lot. If the if the if the if that destructive behavior of men, when it comes to intimacy, is related to their their inherent meaninglessness, that they're going to somehow tear down others. There is a correlation. People who live meaningless lives tend towards bitterness and revenge and 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 resentment and ultimately sometimes even revenge that's that's correlated for sure i mean all you have to do is all you have to do is just you know read any any manifesto of a kid shooting up high schools you know you're you're going to have a nihilist full of resentment and anger and uh with extremely destructive behavior but does it correlate to what he's saying is very powerful. Is is it correlated to man's man's meaning male, male's inherent meaninglessness? Just by by the very virtue of being men, there's a meaninglessness there. Well, today you do, but but you didn't used to. Oh, violent things, yeah. But even even the the uh, um, uh, regarding the the uh, non. Uh, a selfish and destructive uh, behavior when it comes to physical intimacy, using very big words for my for my Torah anytime viewers. Um, obviously, in YouTube, you can say whatever you want, but this is Torah anytime also. So, anyway, but the, but women aren't known to do that kind of stuff unless something's really wrong socially. You know, meaning that something's gone terribly sideways for them and. 
and the uh, which has happened to a whole generation <laughs> because women are willing to be party to behaviors that were famous for men historically but very not famous for women and today it's some of that behavior is considered normal and and that's that's a, that's a real shift in nature and shifts in nature do happen and uh, and you know when things in the nature of the essence of things start shifting that that things are going south that, that's when trouble hits and we just finished last week the the parsha the portion of of torah called noah where things went sideways and god decided to fold the whole thing it went too far hit a point of no return there's a critical threshold where god says enough and next week's parsha vayera it's going to happen again with sodom and amora where where god is you know, he's willing to keep the place around, but there's got to be a, some kind of anchor of tzaddikim holding the place up. And you see Abraham goes into negotiations over the, whether there is that anchor that would keep the boat from, from you know, just drifting off into hell. And But there weren't, and so it gets destroyed as well because things went sideways there. And so... Yeah, you gotta. You, that, that's a, and we're in a sideways generation to the point where, where gender is has. You know when genders come into question, where like you know in a completely binary world where everything is a plus or a minus, but everything like nothing you can point to is not male or female. I mean, nothing. Your table, you know, it's being held together by, you know, male and female. There are screws holding the wood part onto the frame and. And the frame was molten metal, which was male, that went into a mold, which is female. And and the and the windows that you're staring at here are are the are male, and the frame is female, and the hinges on the door, and the door handle, and the buttons on my vest. And there's just nothing you can look at that's not binary, masculine, and feminine. Every single thing in creation, without any exception, is either male or female. And, and to, once that gets called into question for, for when, when clearly, I mean, I saw some of your eyebrows being raised because you were just realizing for the first time that everything's male and female, which is really going to freak out the rest of your day. As you walk around the Jewish quarter, you're going to be like, wow, everything is male and female. But it really is male and female. Everything you will look at, you will never see anything but that. And, and the uh, which is important to know. I'll explain why kabbalistically in a minute. But but the uh, the <laughs> humans were not the surprise part. The surprise part was the table or the windows, not the human. Humans have anatomy, you know. When they say it's a boy, you know, or it's a girl, you know, it's 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 not. You know, it's not because the doctor's some genius. <laughs> he figured it out, you know. So when that gets called into question, you you run the other way. You run the other way. Look, Start looking for life rafts. You know, look for the, the lifesaver and grab it. My brother has a song called Lifeline. Uh, throwing me a lifeline. Dun, 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 dun. Throwing me a lifeline. 
you. I can't remember the words. Anyway, but the, on the album cover, my mother, who's an artist, drew a port, uh, painting for each song of that album. And the lifeline had a, it had a, you know, a, a life, uh, what do you call it? I said it earlier? No, the round thing? A lifesaver, which became a candy, actually, eventually. But a lifesaver. And guess what it had wrapped around it? Because it usually has a rope wrapped around it. What did it have? It had tefillin straps wrapped around it with a, with a tefillin on, you know. I mean, as if someone had put it on tefillin on and wrapped it around the whole lifesaver. And, and that song was called Throwing Me a Lifeline. Yeah. It was the album where my brother was becoming observant and put out this amazing album. Each song is awesome. And uh, that's Sam Glazer, by the way. Check out his music. It's unique in the Jewish world. Very rare you get a, you get a singer who actually writes his own music in the Jewish world. And, and, uh, and so he's written the most songs of anybody in, maybe in history. He wakes up every morning to three, four new songs, two new songs, three new songs that he doesn't remember writing. They, he has a little recorder by his bed and when the songs hit in his dreams, he wakes up, records into them the key, all the lyrics, the bridge, the bass line, the tempo, the, um, the guitar riff, the keyboards, everything's sung in. But the entire song from beginning to end, without any, it's not even going to get edited. That's the song. And he's learned code over decades and decades how to do this. And, he, uh, and then he falls back to sleep till he wakes up again. And he records another song. And he wakes up in the morning, and there's hardly ever a day where there's not several songs. There in each song, if you sat at the end of his piano bench, because what does he do when he wakes up? He runs to his piano, you know, and hits record and plays out the song. And, you know, just fleshes it out totally for just to get it recorded. And then that song gets archived. He's an extremely organized guy. He archives that song. And probably no one will ever, ever hear that song. <laughs> Because when you write three songs a day, just do the math. You know, you're writing a thousand of those a year. And you know how much it costs to get a band together to play it in your studio? You know, so that it actually is put down. So, And this has been going on since he was seven. And my mother, had he had a, a poem assignment. And so he wrote a poem about colors and it had to be about colors and his poem was about about black and my mother who's a musician also says hey why don't we make a song out of it so she gets on the piano and she's got his poem in front of her and she starts singing the poem and my brother looks at her seven years old and says that's not how it goes and she's like what do you mean how does it go and he goes to sing like one of the most complex melodies you've ever heard with all the lyrics of this poem. It actually was a song. It wasn't a poem. Want to hear it? Yes. I can't nail every word, but I'll do my best. Something like this. But those who are musicianship-oriented, listen to the tune, what's going on there. Black is the night without the stars. It is a rocket going to Mars. Black is a bowling ball waiting to ride. Black is also the night. Black is a something. Black is a something. Black is the surrounding of the stars so bright. And black 
is your father when he says good night black is your mother when she says go to bed and black is the hair upon your head and my mother was like huh <laughs> so she's like let's choose another color and he's like yellow and she's like okay and he's like yellow is as bright as the sun yellow is the color of a hot dog bun yellow is <laughs> yellow is the color of a table it is the color of a fable yellow is the color of a fish in the sea yellow is the color when you're stung by a bee and then he wrote, and then he wrote a song called Alone it's so sad is what? Yeah, as much as he allows. I mean, because you know. What's that? Sounds like an influence from Ray Orbison. I don't know. You never heard of Ray Orbison. Anyway, should I sing you alone? It's really sad, but you might have felt alone before. Anyone here felt alone before? Okay, here goes seven-year-old alone song. Alone is when. You have some time to spare But do not have anyone To play with or share Alone is feeling lonely Having nothing to do Feeling sad or fearful Uncomfortably blue When all the people are laughing Really having fun You feel so embarrassed You feel you're going to run Without any friends Till the very end (laughs) (laughs) He was a wild kid He's still a wild kid And he handles the Shabbos tent at music festivals Because he never grew up And he's the most playful person ever My kids love him all kids love him. <laughs> but can you be like a functional adult? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is someone who's also very playful, but I also like cause a lot of issues for myself from my playfulness. Yeah. Like, he does be, too. Exactly. There's got to be some middle ground that I can reach here, right? You know, like, it's called marriage. Uh, yeah. You need someone to, you know, you're the kite, she'll be the string. Hopefully. I didn't marry much of a string. I mean, my wife's like, it's like two kites. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your characteristics are your best and your worst. Okay, um... So the meaning, the meaning of a man being able to move his bones, his bag of bones around, and someone pay him for it, 
gives the man value. And what's really interesting about this, back to respect and stuff, is is Adam's curse. Adam, meaning the first Adam, the first man, because he he listened to his wife over God. In other words, he allowed. This is like the second feminist story in the Torah: is Adam choosing to listen to his wife's really bad idea. <laughs> I mean, that was a bad idea. But he listened to her bad idea, and everything went seriously sideways after that. And and God had already said not to do that. So, like, how did you possibly choose a woman over God? But of course, that that joke that was a joke. Meaning, I said that totally facetiously because this room's full of men who know what God wants them to do and know what God doesn't want them to do, and they keep doing what He doesn't want them to do when it comes to women. So. It's, uh, so it's famous to do what women want or what you want with women and not listen to God. That started at the beginning of time. Like, this is, this is, old, this is old news, you know, doing that kind of thing. So, anyway, but look at Adam's curse. Adam's curse is, is to go out there and make something of himself and come back with the goods and show respect to him. It says, and... and she will, who yimshal bach means, who he yimshal will rule bach over you. He will rule over you. Which was Eve's curse because she blew it. You know, she dominated Adam. And which is fun for a moment for women, but not going to be very lasting because, as we said before, respect and attraction are, are. How do you say in? Intertwined. Okay, thank you. Intertwined, but I want to say they they can't be uh, the word extra extra. <laughs> okay, <laughs> something like that. But they are. What's that? Replaced. Yeah. Well, they're ton- constantly wrapped up. So, like, you may think it's cute to play feminist games with your husband when you get married. Extricated. Extricated. They can never be extricated, or or the or the marriage disappears. So, like, you might think it'd be cute to be, like, a little dominant when you get married with your husband. And he love it. They love it, by the way. Men love it. Why? Well, first of all, they miss their mom. So, that's nice. That, like, she, that mommy's going to go to the post office for me, you know, and, and she's going to this for me, and she's going to that for me, and she, you know, and they also like it because men have an averse relationship with responsibility much more than women who are built in with responsibility and meaning men and have an uh, have an ad- adversity an adversity to it and w- and here's this young feminist girl married this you know guy and and she's taken on everything and he's like great take on everything like go pay our bills you know like go work and or go do whatever you're going to do and and she's kind of enjoying it when she's young it's kind of nice when she's young to be in this kind of powerful place and and he likes it because he doesn't have to do anything but but after a while a a a woman's feminine side starts getting stronger and stronger because women don't get into their femininity till their 30s and it never really kicks until doesn't really kick in until about their 35 36 37 by 38 every woman's like like full feminine like powerfully 
huge, intense femininity comes out of women. It could be because by the time they're in their fifties, young fifties, they lose their their reproductive uh, you know abilities, and and it could be that that it's kind of like a firework that it's shooting, but then at the end it just and that's like that's like the forties, you know, where their femininity is very strong, and if they have set up a a a opposite dynamic of what should be, where the, she's the dominant and he's the subdominant, which is what we're discussing right now regarding Adam and Eve. If they set up that dynamic in their 20s, or they're just victims of our generation, so that is the dynamic, no matter how old you are. So they, and I'll tell you something interesting, for the first time in history, women are trading in their husbands. When they reach 40, 41, 42, they're dumping their husbands. Now in the Haredi community, they won't dump them. They'll have the lack of respect, and then maybe they'll want to go see a counselor or something and try to build the man up. And I have to build up a lot of a lot of Haredi men in their forties, like right around thirty-five to forty-five. I I would do a lot of work with men, and, and in fact, I'll. It's not part of my seminar, but I do mention the subject quite a bit. If you recall, I bring up the man training stuff in in the seminars, which will be in Brooklyn this uh, this Sunday's Brooklyn for men and. And then uh, Muncie will be men seminars at night, women by day, in two weeks, starting the week of November 17th. So anyway, but the, what happens is her femininity kicks in, and if the dynamic is wrong, if the dynamic's the opposite, meaning that she's the dominant, he's the subdominant, so the, the marriage just falls apart. Because how can you respect such a guy? You know, he's just, he's just a little girl. She's married to a little girl, and she's now finally a woman. And like I said before, everything's male and female. So now she's she liked his feminine side because she was male, and he was female, and that works. But it doesn't work in your thirties, in your mid to late thirties, when the femininity kicks in strong, no matter how male you were, and the femininity is now strong, and you're you're she's smelling for a male now, and and she ain't got one because she crushed him years ago. Or he was probably crushed by society, or his mother, or God knows who. You know, his his uh, his uh, Hungarian mother. You know, those women are, are crushers. You know, and the and so you know, there's just nothing left of them, which has started this whole industry called man training. Which I'm not a man trainer, but I've been around the sport enough that I know I know the principles. I just don't have the patience to take on men. You know, to train them in this. But what's amazing about it is the worst, I'm telling you, the worst crash and burn divorces that are already like, you know, it's over. They're separated. He lives somewhere else. She lives here. They're finally getting like enough of the, you know, Kramer versus Kramer hell fire of the divorce has finally come to the get. And then what happens? The guy stumbles upon man training. And he's like, I never heard of man training. So he goes, starts getting, he gets a trainer and he's working with the trainer and the trainer's like, you've been doing everything wrong, man. And he's like, yeah, I guess so. And, and, uh, anyway, so they, 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 uh, they meet with the arbitrator right before the get. And she, he's been training now for already a couple weeks. It takes a couple months, but he's been training for a couple weeks. And they're at, with the arbitrator and she starts smelling her husband. She's just kind of like, like there's a man here and he's doing everything right right now 
doing everything right. And and whatever, the arbitration, you know, the debt set, set and everything, and there's, she, you know, she's sending the forbidden text messages here and there. You know, it's, how you doing? He's like, he hadn't had a text message from her in nine months. You know, and there's the text. And the man trainer, of course, you send your text directly to man trainer. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> you know, he's like, it's working. You're going to get her back. And he gets her back almost every single time. He gets her back. And whenever there's a crash and burn marriage, the problem is not the woman. It's always the man, and it's always his manliness, which is, the, which is missing. And, and that is this, this gender shift where creation itself has lost its way, just like the time of Noah. It's, uh, it's, it's killed the institution of marriage, and it's, and, it, and it's the requirement of the man to, to get it back. And it's really funny to watch. And it's even funnier to watch with really intellectual women who are like, they know they shouldn't be having this happen, but it's happening and they can't stop themselves. And they stop the divorce. And they, they backtrack. And they stay married. And it's, uh, it's really something very special. Very special. Oh, and just one other thing, just to show you on a chart, and then I'll take questions. Something very interesting on a chart regarding cohabitation is um, this is the chart of, of frequency of cohabitation of, of young couples. Okay, that's the first year. Sorry, that's a little steep. And then every couple kind of comes to a, some agreement. Some agreement. Uh, thankfully, in Judaism, if you keep Jewish law, it never drops below twice a week. You know, which uh, which uh, they they have now polled Americans that um, in, for Americans it's uh, after ten years of marriage because it doesn't make any sense polling newly married, but they poll people after ten years of marriage. It's once every six weeks, and that's gotten da- that's gotten worse now. That that's a figure from like I don't know maybe eight years ago. It's even worse now. And, uh, and, and by the way, as the years go on, it gets worse and worse. So whereas in Judaism, it's halakhically obligatory. It can never be less than twice a week, ever. Never can dip below that, which is very interesting because if you go take the eight-year-ago statistic from 10 years, which is already good, is once every six weeks versus twice a week, comes out that being an observant Jew means that you'll be cohabitating with your spouse 12 times more than your secular counterparts. Now that's not something anyone really thinks about. I call it, I teach a whole class on it, it's called the best kept secret. Best kept secret. And it's really ironic too, because you know, let's say you're in, uh, I don't know, you're in San Diego. And uh, you're in San Diego and you see this guy pull up, you know, this greaseback silver hair and his, and his girl who's like, you know, she's about 20 years younger than him and they're, they're in a Corvette with no roof on it, you know they are the, they are the picture of of you know romance, you know and they've been married already for fifteen years the two of them and and uh, you know and there they are as engines you know just like blah 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 at the stoplight you know and you're you're looking at them you're just going like wow jealous 
Meanwhile, there's this like super chubby Chabad rabbi from San Diego. You know, with like, you know, he, he's just like walking to shul because it's Saturday. You know, and and he, he's on his way to shul, and you know where he's got his community and his you know kiddish, which is when communities usually come in California to shul, is kiddish, and he's on his way to shul, and he's just not what you're jealous of on that street corner in San Diego. But you should be. You should be, because those two, I mean, who knows what they're, we know statistically what they're up to. But we also know statistically what he's up to. The chubby Chabad rabbi on his way to shul. And I think anyone in the world, every man in the world would rather be that guy than the guy in the Corvette. And I think from this fact alone, every man should just be running to the Kipa store and the Sitsa store and like, just sign me up, man. Sign me up for a healthy life, a healthy marriage. Um, so what happens is, let's say this is, this is a, you know, six years of marriage, you get to a, some kind of agreement of frequency and, uh, and what happens is when she hits her 30s, this is what, when she hits her mid-30s later, what happens is it goes like this. Let's see, we'll make this the baseline. So what happens is it goes like, it tanks. It tanks in her mid-30s to zero, to zero. And I've met couple after couple after couple after couple after couple. I know already, I don't even have to ask, but I ask. You know, I ask, you know, are you still cohabitating? And, and, you know, he or she is like, no, it's been, it's been two years or whatever. Zero. It goes to zero. And these are couples you know. These are couples you're, you're people you know. It's at zero if he didn't get his act together as a man. But here's the funniest thing, and this is the amazing thing. Is that, is that the men who get the training, or if he didn't need it because he was from a more traditional background that, that kept the original roles of husband and wife, is that it actually goes like that. It goes like that and plateaus there because she's at the height of her femininity and he's playing his cards right. In his marriage and it just like goes right back to the first year of marriage which is amazing I mean that's just unreal and it's true and I've, I've dealt with couple after couple after couple after couple after couple after couple it is redundant it is absolutely true it either goes to zero or it goes back to the first year of marriage but it, there's no middle ground if he's not being a man there's no middle ground once she's in her mid 30s it's over yeah. Um, when you say about gender, it's, like, it's very interesting because I have a little theory about this too. Like, I think maybe it's an over, you know, like when you stay right, but you have to overcorrect and go too much like, left. Yeah. In that, like maybe like our parents' generation, the man was so dominant and sometimes reached like male toxicity. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah. Like, Right, right. Yeah, that's very likely. Very likely that that happened. And um, 
Uh, I didn't eat today. Sometimes I forget to eat, so I'm just going to have a little bite of whatever my wife gave me. It's still warm. Uh, we're going to finish in a minute. I just realized that I'm about to pass out. Uh, here's some uh, sweet potato. Oh my gosh. I just totally didn't eat today. You know, people eat way too much. I ate way too little. <laughs> but I, I am proof that food, the fuel food gives you, is ten times more than you realize. What you think when you're fueling up is overeating. And you can eat so much less food and put so much out on so little food and you, you'll just, your whole body will metabolize. It, it, will, it will find its way. You know, and, and your muscles will take over. For you know, muscles are ready to fire. You know, they they're just ready. Oh wow, what do we got here? I think it's egg. Mm. I know I normally don't do this at the end of my class, but I do have to wrap up the whole class. It's just that I couldn't go on without a bite. I had to give you something to edit. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, you got one? You got one? Go ahead. There's a Jewish guy in L.A. Don't be too explicit because it's uh, a lot of STEM girls in the room and Shiva boys. About that subject. Because the men are scared from these women. Yeah, 100%. It's horrific and it's absolutely uh, tragic, uh, but it's real. Wow. Okay. And you want you had a qu- question? You said earlier that Steak. 
What's your first name? Ben, ben, ben Sion. Ben Sion State. Yeah. Um, so you said earlier that as women mature in the later stages, they become more feminine. Yeah. Does the same happen for men? And if not, why not? No, it, it doesn't. No, it doesn't happen for men. Uh, men go through their shift at puberty. Notice women. I mean, they get reproductive organs, but they don't. I mean, the reproductive organs go into action, but they don't have this like womanhood take them over. It's gradual. Women's womanhood is a gradual, natural progression from girl to woman. Boys don't have anything gradual happening. <laughs> Nothing gradual there. And it's uh, it's like within a few months. And and he just, because uh, who, who says he's a man just because his body went through all that? And that's why men have it so rough. Uh, boys have it so rough when they go through puberty. You know? So she go. that's her puberty, so to speak. That's her intense shift. Yeah, Ravi. <laughs> That the women would dominate. Yeah. I don't know what the subject is. Women have to go out into the yeah, women yeah. dominant going out into the world and becoming something. Yeah. So I'm saying isn't it society that has made women be that way? Like it's not the women's fault. Not at all the women's but, fault. Not at all the women's fault. Isn't it written somewhere that at the times of the end of days the light of the moon will be stronger than the light of the sun and the moon is the woman? Uh, what is that? What does that mean? I've never heard it related to. I've never heard that related to that. But that's an interesting point. I, I think it's it, it potentially dangerous using it as a dangerous macor for it, unless it's just a sign of Mashiach coming. But, but uh, what, it, what does it mean spiritually? For spiritually, it just has to do with the the. It's not the way it is now. That's what I'm saying. It's not that women are going to be more dominant and in the work world or outside. Mm. What is that? I don't. I don't know a teaching. I mean, teachings are literally coming to my brain while I'm hearing you say it. Uh, but again, that would be coming from me. And and the the first thing that came to me was is that there's going to be a shift in the uh, in the nature of things. Right now, we have a hidden God creating this very opaque matrix, and that we reflect obviously God, but you can't see Him so well. And so what is the moon? The moon is the reflector of the sun. But in the end of days, the moon will be, str the reflector will be strong. And so to our world, that's usually opaque, will go back to its translucent state of the Garden of Eden before they ate from the fruit. I'm just making that up as I go, though. I, that, that, was, that was where my brain went. So I, that, you can put that in the waste paper basket when you leave, because I, I don't have any source for any of that. But that's what came. Kobe, guys, I, I am going to wrap up this class. Go ahead, go ahead. Like, I guess it may have to be masculine, like in the world itself. You know, it's very good to go and chase after what you want to have that masculine drive. Like, I, like on my day to day things, like I, I like that kind of kick that having a man gives me. But is it when, when we're talking about this, when you're with your wife, can, uh, can you feminize yourself around her when it's just you and her? You know, like bad idea. Bad idea. If you need to feminize yourself, do it with your friends. 
I mean, if you really got to cry something out. No, no, I, I mean more like, like being more open, you know. Like oh, that's good. That's good stuff. That's not feminine. Being open and caring, and by the way, crying with your wife is wonderful. If you're crying out deep feelings, that's fine. But if it's if it's like if it's there's a certain kind of crying men do, which is like it's a little boy poor me cry. Never do that in front of your wife, ever, ever. I've had men. I've had men who are you know their 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 marriage is going south like that. And they they go to couples counseling, but really they didn't realize they're in a trap. The couples counseling is really just to get a few uh, signatures from the therapist that she's truly married to a woman, and that the divorce can go through. So he thought a good idea would be to start whimpering and crying in front of the therapist. He just thought that's a good that would be a good move, and uh, you know because then everyone will have compassion for him and and they'll feel bad for him and sympathetic for him. But what happens? He starts crying. You know what she does? She goes to the therapist. She says, see, that's what I'm telling you. And the guy thinks this is working great. Meanwhile, he's digging his own grave. He's like literally stamping his divorce right now. You know, because he thought crying would be a good idea. Anyway, so that poor me cry, never in marriage. That's what friends are for. We have those poor me moments. Call up a friend, a guy. And go cry on his shoulder. Don't cry on your wife's shoulder. Now, I cry a lot with my wife. A lot, a lot, a lot. But I'm crying over deep feelings of things, not poor me stuff. Poor me stuff goes straight to other friends of mine. My, my, my question is more like, you know, like when it was my guys playing soccer, like I'm like very like pushy and aggressive. aggressive. And like, I usually like get my energy out. Yeah. Like when I'm, when like I will be with my wife, like it's cool like to talk about like what I think, what I yeah, don't come in like that. When I'm saying being the man, it's a subtle man. It's it's subtle man stuff. It's not, you know, come in this like he man he man guy. You know, like that. Nobody wants that. Yeah, you just want to be yourself. You want to be you. You want to be fully integrated. It's, this is, by the way, all this man stuff doesn't mean. Okay, you're not. You know this. Nice guy. That no one wants. No woman wants a nice guy. Okay. I mean, they think they do when they're in their feminist mode, but they won't want them later. So get rid of the nice guy stuff. But see, you got to be careful. And that's why your question came up. Got to be careful not to make an inference saying, "Oh, no, not no more Mr. Nice Guy." So then here comes the aggressive man guy. You know, and nobody wants that either. Just be yourself. Be fully integrated human being. That's all she wants. Just a fully integrated human being, and the and the man of that, not the woman of that. You know, she wants the man of that, and if you, that poor me side starts coming up, call a friend, go get a beer, and, and cry it out. Yeah, or go to a therapist. I've cried stuff out with therapists that just I would never do for my with my wife. I used to do it with my wife, and I couldn't figure out why she didn't want to look at me for a few days. You know, you know what it's like. It's like catching a cold when when a guy gets married he can't wait to catch a cold because he's been he's misses when he used to catch a cold his mother would bring him this and that and you know and a compress and a soup and a this and then and ex- so he thinks he's going to try that in marriage except what happens she realized oh my gosh i got like a, it's defective <laughs> it's defective like how's this thing going to support me that now caught a cold and the guy learns real quick 
never get sick. Never get sick. And you'll notice, and most of you, your father never got sick because he, he learned his lesson in the first year of marriage. You never get sick. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, you just, I mean, unless you really catch a real thing. But the, the old getting sick thing that we do by kind of, you know, a little extra processed flour and over-processed flour and like extra sugar and a little sleep deprivation, a little stress and overworking, you catch a cold. But you stop catching those colds when you get married. You stop catching But then there's like, you know, just getting nailed by something. And once in a while, a man gets nailed by something. But yeah, don't ever get sick when you're married. And that's why you'll notice your father doesn't get sick. He learned his lesson. She ain't coming with a bowl of soup. You know, she's like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and then you'll see her, like your kid's sick at the same day. And she's just like, oh, sweetheart. <laughs> you know, here, let me get you something, you know. And you're like, <coughs> what about me? You know, she's like, you get better quick. Get back to work. Yeah, you want to say something? I may have earlier. And also, if you'd like to say something, because I noticed that I've been watching your facial muscles, like, cringing in different times. Uh, if you have someone you'd like to share, or ask, you can. Yeah. What's being a man? Being a man is, I'd say the, like I'm not going to give a long thing because it's already five, but, I, but I'll give you the most important. Because you're saying to be yourself, but then you're like, but not really always all the time. No, no, be fully integrated yourself, but be there for your wife as a man. And now you're saying, well, what does that mean? Okay. That's all. Yeah, I wasn't saying, with, there's no compromise okay. on being, on what I said, a full integration of yourself. But when you're being a man, you're really being a man for her. So, for example... Women need to review their day when you get home from work. They must review your day, their day. And if you blow it and don't give them time to review your day, you'll pay for that later. They need to review their day. And they have to review their day many times, by the way. They review it with their friend. They review it with this one. They review it with that one. They call their mother. They review their day. They review, review, review. But when you get home, you'd think, hey, they're all reviewed out. They're not. They need one last review with their husband. And especially if they're a bunch of little kids because... They, they spend a lot of time with little kids and they, that, there's an adult now in their presence and they want to review it one more time just to put you on the page. And your job is to sit there and let her review her day and be there and listen and stuff. Now, um, but one of the main things is for a man to be a man is to, is, um, to not react Reactions are always fight or flight in human beings and animals and fish and not react with fight or flight when she's being contentious. That's being a man. Not react with fight, which means you're going to be contentious back, or flight, which means you're going to run away from this confrontation. But be able to stay just... Why did I bring up listening to her review? Because you need to hear her, you need to field her contentious verbiage when she's being contentious. You need to field her contentious verbiage just as you would her reviews. Don't let her pull you into something, meaning a fight. And also don't run away after you heard her explicatives about you. Just 
breathe and listen. Don't listen too hard. Listen a little. If you listen too hard, you'll be wounded. And generally a woman, when she's feeling contentious and he's doing the man thing and he's really being there for her by shutting up, what happens is she sees he passed the man test. Her respect goes boom and her attraction goes boom. But the problem is he can't do that now because he's so wounded by what she said. So it's really important not to listen too carefully. Just enough for general content. Do not interrupt her. Do not fight. And definitely don't run away. And meaning don't run to the bathroom or to Mincha or wherever. Like, stay right there and stay present with her. Get put on put in your create your yogic inner smile, which is the position when you're in a particularly difficult position in yoga. You you remember to keep your face uh, the muscles of your face at peace. It's called inner smile. And be there. Be a man for her. That's all. So that's one example of being a man. And probably one of the most important ones. And, and I can't stress enough the almost impossible thing of not listening. Because, again, if he comes out wounded, what good did it do? You know, Now he's just wounded. And, and now she's all like getting romantic. You know, and she wants to make him eggs and sweet potato. And he's just like, he can't even eat, you know, after what he just went through. You know, from the. What? Every man has had that happen. And, anyways, that's exciting. And did you want to share something or say something? Okay. But, uh, but I realize that whenever I bring up these subjects, uh, more and more in the last years, obviously, but. Whenever I bring up these subjects, I'm never. I'm. I'm. My intention is to. My intention is is to mess with you, but my intention is not to be hurtful. At all, I'm. I'm. Believe me, I, I. This is not where I make my living. I'm here because I care about people, and I know that there are principles of living that will create long-term good. And there are skewed principles of religion that will mess you up, and that's what today was all about. And they will mess you up down the road. And so I am willing to mess with people big time with all my love. With all my love. I don't have to be here. I don't, this, this, hardly, this doesn't even make a dent in my, my monthly nut financially. To whatever stipend they give the rabbis here is not even really relevant to what it costs to run my household, especially with two kites for parents. And, um, and the, uh, but I'm really here because I love people. Now, um, but, w- but when I'm saying stuff that can be hard to hear or maybe even fly in the face of philosophies and move political or, or move, the movements of society for young people today, when I say things that are, seem to be not just contradictory, but they'll sense it's an attack on the on those values, which I don't consider values. I consider them a channel that's just being changed, and this is the channel it's on today. Check twenty years later, it'll be another channel. It's not it's not eternal. It's not timeless like our Torah. And the uh, so when I mess with people, I'm really messing with people with love, with love in my heart and care, and and I want to see people have beautiful marriages, and I want to see people have meaning in their lives 
in the rabbit hole. All up is meaning comes from. It seems that meaning comes from responsibility. Women have it built into their systems. Men have to get it through, through taking on voluntarily responsibility. Some of those things we take on are obligatory. You still have to take it on. Like for example, you keep kosher. You have to take. You took that on. Now you may have been raised that way, but you take that on. You don't. It's not a big choice because uh, you're raised Jewish and raised keeping kosher, and so you got to keep kosher. It's part of obligatory. But for you to get up and get a cup of water for somebody who you felt might be thirsty, that's elective. You'll probably get more meaning out of that cup of water than putting on your tefillin this morning, because you're you put on your tefillin today. That's an obligation. But getting someone a cup of water might be more meaningful because you elected to do that. And when you elect to, when you elect to take on a responsibility, life gets really meaningful. And this is one of the reasons why Bali Chuva are much more excited about Judaism than their raised observant counterparts. Because they, they're, they're taking a whole world of obligation on electively. You understand? They're taking this whole world of obligation on electively, taking on all this responsibility electively. It's just magical. It's wonderful. It's, your life gets like infused with meaning. Forever, for the rest of your life. You're like, you have something that no one could ever have. You're just filled with meaning. But with this breakdown between elective and obligatory responsibility, I think that we can all find ourselves living very meaningful lives, no matter how you're raised. And, and this is something that, that all of us should be doing, and that is embracing responsibility. And Torah obligates the man, I'm just going full circle now, obligates the man to, to be married. Not really, but it does say don't be alone, and it also says that men have to have children. Well, children don't come out so good unless they have two parents married to one another. Statistically, even though, as I said, there are individuals that can raise a kid, but generally it needs to be a married couple for the kid to come out somewhat normal. By the way, plenty of people don't come out too normal with two parent, married parents. But the, uh, but the, so men are obligated for this. And this, where women are not obligated to be married nor to have children, they have this built-in meaning, which will probably drive them to get married and have children. But the men have to be commanded so. Because men abhor responsibilities. Responsibility scares men very much. And meanwhile, that will be our joy. That will, it'll be our meaning and that will be our joy. And, and then the last thing I just said is the benchmark that your life's very meaningful. The benchmark of it is the feedback you get. Someone handing you 20 bucks for moving his bag is feedback. Getting a salary is feedback from the world letting you know that your life's yeah it's working it's working this this embracing of responsibility is working because someone actually hired you for a responsibility and they're now you're now getting a salary and that that means it's working out for you this whole meaning through responsibility that's feedback and feedback's really powerful for and you you want to live off that and feed off it I mean, we live off God, but you can feed off of the feedback of, of whether financial feedback. My greatest day is when I get these WhatsApps all the time that usually start with, I just want to thank you. Because I was in your class, I was ready to kill you. 
and and I cried for two hours after, and I was and I I was gonna raise hell and troll you online, and then I eventually realized that you're right, and my life has turned around, and thank God, and I want to thank you for that, and that's my best day because I got the feedback of a responsibility I've taken on for to make a difference for this generation. Say it quick. Okay. The next rabbi is already here. What are you doing today, by the way, rabbi? And more. We did the more part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you say men are scared of responsibility. Is it almost like, you know, when you're at the top of your mountain bike slope and it's like a real scary one? I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm scared of it. Yeah. But like, once you start jumping into it and you're like really going on the turns and you're in the middle of it, yeah. you kind of begin to enjoy it, you know? Yes. Is this the same kind of responsibility? Like, looking at it from the outside, like, oh, it's just uh, now that I'm in the responsibility. And I've got everything's ru- pistons pumping. Things are very. I like that analogy. That's good. Yeah. Get, in other words, you're saying to everybody, get started. <laughs> get in there. Yeah. Uh, it sounded like you were touching on this at the end here, but that perhaps the most sentimental form of responsibility and feedback of one's value of their efforts and their self, I suppose, would be like a closed circuit of all humane. Your human with the output, the uh, other end of, of that equation is the wife and the kids, again, human, and then the feedback is that they're not only happy and supportive, but they're like becoming good people and perhaps surpassing you. Wow. Right? Nice. Like, like the, the monetary thing like gets the point home. I think that's what you're getting at, yeah? Both. Both, but you're just adding deeper. Deeper is seeing that, that, that thing work, things worked out. And you're even creating a family that's even greater than you. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'll, 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 I warn everybody that just because you did this amazingly meaningful life, don't think your teenagers are going to be so excited. Teenagers are teenagers. They, they don't love responsibility. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.